Hey everybody, it's another episode of Irish Mike's Podcast. I'm Irish Mike, and I'm excited you are here. Reminder that each of these episodes is brought to you by our little store, Blacksmith Trading Company. In our store, you can find our handmade small batch bitters, men's grooming items, and our newest additions, whiskey and tobacco-scented candles. Find out more information at blacksmithtradingco.com or, of course, the home site, irishmikesmith.com. Today, our guest is Mike Shigley, dad, football coach, and founder of the first faith-based youth football team in Seattle's King County. We discuss why football matters and how it develops skills and character traits in young people. We also discuss recommendations on when a child should start playing football and how it translates into high school and beyond. So why football matters. Um, I read a book, uh, a couple of books in the last couple of years about football, not just your typical, um, you know, superstars and tracking their biographies, but one of them literally was called Why Football Matters. And it went mm-hmm. into a lot of, um, do you ever read that book by chance? I have not, no. Okay. And it, it was a story of a guy in the Midwest and he, um, you know, was kind of a gangly guy and wasn't a great athlete uh, when he was younger. And his dad kind of pushed him into it a little bit. And then it kind of resisted. And and then he ended up having this really great experience. Um, and uh, he was, you know, his team was successful, kind of like he said Catholic has been, you know, representative in the state championships, always kind of competing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, um, I think he ended up playing a little bit of small college football out there in the Midwest. And he began to reflect on why it mattered. And it really connected with me. And uh, why I wanted to talk to you was because for several reasons. One, of course, you're a dad of, of, of a son who played football. Um, you've coached. Mm-hmm. You've led an entire, uh, and it started, I believe, and I'll have you talk about it in a second, um, you know, a whole organization, essentially. And you've been around the game. Um, so I wanted to kind of start there. Um, tell me a little bit about your personal experience first as Mike Shigley before, you know, being a dad and, and youth football and things. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I got into this almost completely by accident. My son uh, was a fifth grader at St. Joe's. He, um, you know, he had a couple of buddies. They'd started this new program. I actually didn't start it. I took it over after the first year, but uh, they started Eastside Crusaders junior football. It was actually started by Bill Marsh, who was the head football coach, uh, Jim Kubaki who was the president of EC at the time and uh, a guy by the name of Steve Wright, who was the head of development. And they thought, Hey, this is a great, let's, let's build our own little feeder program. So they got uh, actually Justin Luger had a graduation gift from his dad. Uh, he was going to buy a Porsche with it, but he decided to donate it and start this, this program. So uh, talked to, you know, Christian managed to convince my mom or my, my mom, my wife, that uh, he should be allowed to play football. So off we trundled up to Eastside Catholic when they were up at the old campus. And um, I was just standing on the sidelines watching practice. And the coach comes over and said, hey, would you you know, mind holding the bags or something like this when we're doing these drills? And uh, so I went over there and held the bags and then uh, you know, got to the first game. And he said, hey, could you come over and run the defense? And I you know, I played a couple of years of youth football and a couple of years of high school football. I was never really serious about it. Um, but he said, Hey, can you run the defense? And, um, I said, I don't think so, but I'm, I'm happy to try. And from there, uh, you know, events, I think they've, they fired this guy and we ended up just kind of running the, the team by committee, uh, Dino Peretti and, a, and a bunch of other guys who were just kind of Hayden Holland kind of standing around trying to figure out what to do. And we were terrible. 
Uh, we went 0-8. and I don't think we scored a touchdown until the last half of our last game. Um, and then the next year, Steve Wright, who was running the program, left EC, and uh, there was just a vacuum. So I kind of stepped in with uh, Jim Wright and Pops Wright and Hayden Holland and uh, Jake Nolan. We kind of took over the program. It was uh, We had nothing. We had a, a empty bank account and a bill for uniforms for 4000 bucks, and you know, kind of eventually brought this thing to the stature where it is now. Um, that's, that's how I got into it. Uh, that's kind of been my, um, you know, that was, that was my experience to start with. And then I coached, you know, Christian all the way through and then just kept, I don't know what happened. I guess I didn't go to the meeting where they um, said, Hey, you know, it's time to step down when your kid graduates out of junior football. I missed the next meeting where they said, Hey, when he graduates from high school, you can leave. And the next one, which says when he graduates from college, you can leave. So I don't know if I just, I, Got, I, I did it. I loved it. Um, it was a great program. We were really part of something a lot bigger, you know, for, that was the, that, that group, that core group that started there in sixth grade were, um, you know, are kind of legendary in this, in the, in the program and the school for what they accomplished in their careers. So that's, you know, that's kind of my story from beginning to end. Yeah. So, so Christian, um, wanted to play youth football. He, he raises his hand to mom and says, mom, I, you know, I really want to play, please let me. And, and he was what, what age or what grade, like sixth grade, something like that. Yeah. Sixth grade. Okay. Yep. And then dad gets brought in to kind of help on the sidelines. And then, uh, the rest, as they say, is history. You get, you kind of take yep. on more responsibility. And then how many years total would you say from that year till when you either stepped down or turned it uh, over? Uh, were mm-hmm. you involved at the at the Crusader Youth Football Program? Uh, Fifteen, and probably twelve of those as the as the head of the program. Oh, that's awesome! That's awesome. Yeah. So, so let's take a step to the side and and uh, take your coach's hat off. Your you know leader of the league, uh, excuse me, the you know and all that. What, what what would that be called? I guess the program. Take that hat mm-hmm. off and that whistle off. And and what did you see as a dad? You, your son, you and you only have one son. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So as a dad watching Christian play, you know, sixth through 12th grade, and then he ended up going into college, I believe. Tell me about it from a mm-hmm. dad's perspective. Well, I was just, you know, it's, it's one thing to watch. And I loved watching Christian play. He's a, you know, he's a really good football player. I just, I really always enjoyed it, but those years that we actually got to spend when I was the coach and he was the, you know, a player on the same team, all that, that concentrated time together, um, both, you know, we're both doing something we really enjoyed. It's just an awesome experience. I, you couldn't, I couldn't duplicate that anywhere else. Um, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of firsts, um, with that group of kids that included my son, you know, the first ECJF championship, you know, those guys, those kids, Christian, Hunter Hudgens, Trey Reynolds, Zane Allen, uh, you know, Hayden Meyer, Luke Latanzio. That was the beginning of, you know, the EC, you know, emergence as a, as a state and, you know, regional national, uh, powerhouse. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I got go ahead. That was, that was it. Yeah, no. So, so it was fun to watch all these boys develop into young men, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, grow, yeah. and then of course as they grew personally, the the program grew. 
you know, almost on a parallel track, right? Because a huge legacy uh, for Eastside, uh, you know, junior football, um, Crusader junior football uh, was started really uh, with them. And of course, it's only gotten stronger since. So um, your son being part of that founding group to some level, does that sound right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And those guys, you know, that, that was such, that was such a special group. It's the only group that I am aware of um, that as in, in football that has played for a state championship and won the academic cup in the same year, which that's is pretty awesome. remarkable if you think about it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. So, so dad had, uh, watching your son just develop, you know, sixth grade, he's, you know, probably whatever he weighs, whatever, however strong he is. And he becomes this basically stud by the end of his senior year. If I remember the story correct, um, he, he wasn't necessarily looking at playing college football there for a minute. I don't I might be wrong there. And he gets this opportunity to go to Harvard. Is that, sound, is that right? Uh, yeah, exactly right. So he was, you know, he, uh, as a freshman, he weighed 145 pounds or something like that. And he put on 40, 40 pounds a year, every year through his senior year. So he ended up playing his senior year at 265. But I, I honestly thought that if he was going to do anything in college, he would be a lacrosse player because he was, you know, he's six, five, he was about 220 at the time and pretty dominant as a defensive lacrosse player. But, um, and because we weren't focused on anything athletically in college, right. His, his he was all about, um, I, I, I remember this distinctly when he was a freshman, we were talking to him, my wife and I were talking to him about where he wanted to go for college. And he kind of trundled off and came back a, a couple of days later and said, I want to go to school someplace where I don't have to explain to people where I went to school, which I thought was an interesting perspective. So he was always focused on uh, the high academic places, right? And at the end of his junior year, he had a pretty good season. You know, he's really started to develop as a player. And Jeremy Thielbar, the head football coach, took him aside and said, hey, you know, if you want to, you could probably play at the next level. So we talked about this and said, well, you know, we'll let you do this if under two conditions. Then one is you know, it gets you into a school that you couldn't easily get into, um, you know, or, um, you know, it helps to, um, oh, I, I remember the second thing, it helps you get into a school you couldn't get into or, or uh, you know, increases your chance of getting into someplace you really want to go. So with that, you know, we started looking around and trying to figure out how to, um, you know, how to get him noticed in, in some of these really high academic schools. Yeah. And he ended up in the plan three years for Harvard as an offensive lineman. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And would, and uh, I mean, could he have done it? I know this is looking, you know, backwards in time, but, you know, without the experience of the junior football program and, and what, and the rise of Eastside Catholic, uh, even in, during high school, I mean, if he was at the local public school, could he have accomplished the same thing, do you think? Or was there something special about the the path of being a part of something from the beginning and being a part of, you know, the DNA? Uh, or could he have just joined up with the local youth program and followed their, you know, pipeline into their high school in your neighborhood? Would, would it, you think it would have been different? You know, it's, it's, the, it's the kid, right? Can he, would he have accomplished everything he accomplished at a public school? I don't know. I don't think so, but I, there's really no way to tell, right? Sure. I just think there's something there's something so unique about Eastside Catholic that 
um, you know, those kids, uh, they, they have something about getting every kid to reach their full potential and it's the culture and it's the, it's the way they, they run the school. I, I just think it's, I think it's different. It's unique and it's pretty special. So I don't think you get that at, at public schools with 1800 kids or 2,500 kids or whatever they've got in skyline or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, one of the reasons why I wanted my sons to be a part of it as well. You know, I think I may have told you I grew up in Spokane and, uh, you know, when I was a kid and I, and I think it's similar even today, you know, there's a pretty active, you know, parochial school program for football. You know, they don't play CYO like they do here in Western Washington as much as they play mm -hmm. for their actual school, you know, the fifth grade right. boys basketball team kind of thing. Um, yeah. And, of course, having one Catholic high school in the city there at Gonzaga Prep, you know, it's a natural feeder for those kids and families that want to continue the faith-based journey with football. But I've always thought that part of it was these kids are playing tackle football when they're young, uh, whereas some of the public programs either couldn't afford it, especially when I was a kid. I'm not exactly sure what's happening now. I imagine, you know, the YMCA and, and some of the other good kid programs and different things might exist over there now. Um, but we were playing tackle football with, you know, the helmets and whatever from the seventies. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was scary. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, but there was a little bit of uh, traction there, right? You had kids that mm -hmm. had some basic understanding and, uh, and, you know, Gonzaga prep historically has had some success in football. Um, and yeah. so, you know, it, there was, I think a natural feeder program for probably a two a enrollment school always competing mm -hmm. at a high level uh, with the 4A schools. Yeah. Do you think that the um, faith component um, of the junior football uh, adds, uh, you know, tell me, tell me what you think it adds um, or does not add to the experience for these young boys? Well, I, it, it adds an, a level of expectation, right? It, it, uh, it goes along with everything else that we demanded from our kids, right? Um, Bill Marsh, the old, the former head football coach, um, said, let me see if I can get this quote right. Um, I can't, I can't remember some about the content of his character. Um, but that, that was, we always push that as, as part of the, as the first priority, the most important thing before football and anything else is that, you know, you're putting on the blue and orange of the Navy and orange of Eastside Catholic. So everything that you do when you're wearing that uniform uh, reflects not only on you, but also on your family, on your church, on your school, um, and it reflects on Eastside Catholic. So don't ever do anything that would uh, that would damage any of those reputations. Right. So the faith-based aspect, you know, what it what it really meant, it meant, you know, we pray before our games, right? But more than that, it was really how you conducted yourself when you were on and off the field, right? We have a lot of people who weren't necessarily religious, who didn't, um, you know, have a strong faith tradition. And that's fine. And we just ask that they, you know, bow their heads and when everybody else is praying and, and respect um, the fact that we're a, a faith-based program. And we never had, I don't think we had a single issue. Nobody ever complained or said anything about it. But you you sort of demanded that you set that expectation from the beginning, and these these young boys they they kind of rose up to it. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, kids are kids are remarkable little creatures, right? I mean, 
they'll, they're almost, they're like lab puppies, right? They, they love to please you. And, um, you know, the, if you challenge them in a right way, they'll meet or exceed your expectations every time. Yeah. It's been my experience. So oh, that's really yeah, you have to, if you have high standards, then, then you'll get kids with high standards. If you have low expectations, you get kids with low standards and low expectations. So, um, you know, we, you know, we used to, we used to call it, we called it the Coach Shigley F-bomb rule, right? And that, the rule was if you drop an F-bomb on the field, you sit a quarter in the next game. And if you do it twice, you sit for a half in the next game and so on and so forth. But we always told the kids that the, the hardest part about that rule, if you violate that rule, is not, um, is not missing playing time. It's explaining to your mom why you're going to miss playing time, right? Right. We, I don't think we ever had a violation had a coach do it once, but that was different. Uh, <laughs> you got to watch out for those coaches. Yeah, I know. I know. We made him run. It was pretty funny. That is pretty funny. Yep. Um, I want to shift a little bit. What, what are some of the uh, little phil- opportunity for you to wax uh, philosophical? What are some of the lessons that you think can be learned from playing football specifically? You know, that, that maybe you saw in Christian or some of these other young men that you've seen now, you know, 15 plus years um, of kids and many graduating classes, a lot of success at the high school level as well. You know, what are some of these lessons that you think that they've carried with them specifically because of playing football? Well, uh, you know, it, it's, it's really how you handle adversity and uh, you know, whether it's being down in a game or, you know, losing, in a losing a, a key player during the game or, uh, you know, having a penalty, have a touchdown call back. It's how you, how you deal with adversity, which is a great personal lesson, but it's also how you deal with adversity, um, as a team, the teamwork concept and, and the benefits of, of teamwork and, uh, you know, uh, subjugating probably is the right word, but uh, let's say subjugating your personal interest to the the greater good or the good of the team, um, and and still manage and and you know and move that thing forward as a unit uh, is probably the best lesson. You know, it's it's really the only sport that I can think of where every single player has a role in every play, right? So you know, lacrosse, if they're, you know, if your team's down on the attacking end, you've got four defensive and standing around leaning on their sticks, right? Football, every player has a, has a role, a distinct role. It's an important role. Even if you're the wide receiver on the other side of the field, you've got a job to do. And if, and if one of those people doesn't do their job, then you've got a problem. So, um, you have to, you have to, um, rely on other people to be successful. And, um, you know, they have to, uh, you know, they have to support you as well. Yeah, I always thought football was unique in that way as well. I'm glad you brought up the lacrosse example. Um, is there anything else that you would sort of add to that on how football specifically is different than uh, other sports, uh, whether they're the big ones and most common ones or even some of the niche sports? Well, it's. You know, it's probably one of the one of the ones where you you know that you're going to play with uh, pain, right? 
don't right. play with it. You won't, you play when you're hurt, but not, you know, not when you're injured. Right. We always try to explain the difference. You know, you're going to get banged up. You're going to get dinged up. You're going to have bumps. You're going to have bruises. You got to get past that. Right. And that's all, that's part of the adversity thing, but the physical, um, you know, the physical aspects of, of football, I think are unique. There's not really any other sport where you're going to take that kind of, uh, physical or you get physical contact on virtually every play. Right. And that's something you can carry through life for sure. Right. Is this resilience mm -hmm. factor, right? Resilience. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Resilience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of sports are like that, right? You can tweak your ankle and still try to hit a jumper from, you know, the baseline. Right. Uh, but there's something unique, I think about football, on you know banged up scraped up bruised up and you're still working together with the with mm -hmm. the other team members to again like you had yeah. said earlier accomplish the same goal well you know the other thing about football is it's it's i can find a spot for any kid right from the little tiny fast squirrely kids to the you know the big kind of slow the hulking kids right i can find a spot for all those kids on a football field can't necessarily do that in a, on a lacrosse game or a soccer field or, or something like that, you know, uh, or even a baseball, which as we know, isn't really a sport, but, um, <laughs> well, it fails, it fails the first criteria for a sport. And that is you don't sweat when you play it. So, uh, I love it. That's good stuff. Let me ask you a couple other things. What, um, what would you say to a junior high kid who maybe has played in the junior football program or, or maybe he hasn't, but he's thinking about high school football, um, mm -hmm. a program like an Eastside Catholic, O'Day, G Prep, you know, some of these, you know, programs that have really set, separated themselves a little bit. And there's a bunch of others, of course, but separated mm -hmm. themselves a little bit. And, 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 and I'm, I'm asking this question because I remember when I was in the eighth grade, I played football for our parochial system and our, our team was uh, too small. So we had to combine three Catholic schools to form one team. And, mm -hmm. uh, and G prep had just uh, uh, won a state title in 87 and in 88 uh, or maybe it was 86, excuse me. And then in 87 uh, lost uh, to Billy Joe Hobart and the Puyallup Vikings when I was a eighth grader. So that was two title games. If you remember back then it was called the King bowl. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, won one, lost one, and probably shouldn't have lost the, the second one. But needless to say, there was a lot of success. Um, so I was, a, at the time, skinny kid, um, one of the smaller pro, uh, programs, of course, in the city. Um, and I was, frankly, intimidated about playing for this big powerhouse football team because that's how I looked at it. I, I saw these guys. I saw them as studs. And I thought, there's no way I could, you know, go to the weight room or whatever it would take to compete with these fellas. Um, mm -hmm. What would you say to a kid who's, um, you know, just apprehensive about getting involved, you know, uh, for for uh, to play high school football or really any sport, but specifically football? How would you encourage them? You know, well, you know, it, it's if they it really comes down to if you if they want to do it or not, right? Um, and and there's two things. There's a kid who's been playing football, and then you hear a lot about not letting kids play tackle until they're freshmen. It's really, it's really two different issues, but you know, if you're on the fence, I mean, if you've played football, you enjoy the game and you think it's something you want to do, but you're unsure if, um, you know, you can compete at the level of an Eastside Catholic. Well, first of all, you got freshman ball, you're going to play. And then, 
you know, as you, as you grow up in the sport, there's JV ball. You're always, you're so you're always going to have an opportunity to play, but you know, if you're apprehensive, just go watch a couple of practices or go talk to the coaches, you know, um, if you feel like you want to go out there and give it a try, go out there and give it a try and see if you like it. But, you know, you're not getting paid, you know, nobody's going to pay you. It's, and then at a, at a high academic school, like Eastside Catholic, it's just, it adds to your, the burden of the stuff you've got to get done on a daily basis. And it can't be your, you know, and, and academics, you know, when your parents are paying that kind of money for school, I got to have to be your first priority. So, you know, you kind of, you got to, if you don't enjoy it, don't do it. Right. I mean, if you go out there and try it for a couple of days and it's not something that's not your cup of tea, then if you quit, nobody's going to hold it against you. Right. right. Um, if you've never played before and you want to try it, kind of the same advice. Um, you know, that's, it's kind of a different conversation about, you know, what do you do if you, you have a parent that says, well, we'll let him play as a freshman in high school. And my response has always been, if you want him to get injured playing football, put him on a football field for the first time when he's a freshman. Right because you've got kids who've been playing for six, seven, eight, nine years. And um, it, it's probably, you know, it, it's possible. I remember Peter Kimball and his brother both started playing football as freshmen. Both of them played in college. That's highly unusual. doesn't happen very often. They just happen to be exceptional athletes. But um, I always encourage, and this was, we used to call this the mom excuse, right? And this is the one that Christian used on my wife. And, it, and basically it was, you know, if you don't start, if I don't start till freshman, the chance of me getting hurt are much better or much higher because in youth football, first of all, we're age weight limited. So you're not, if you're a small kid, you're not going to be playing with huge kids that are your age. You're going to be playing with huge kids that are much younger. So that, um, it's a little more even playing field, but you've got smaller teams. You got more coaches and uh, we have, you know, guaranteed playing time, which you don't have in high school. So, um, you know, if somebody's thinking about, whether they want their kid to play junior football, I'd strongly encourage him to do it because, uh, you know, it's, if he's going to play in high school, he's like, well, we're not, we're not going to let you play till high school. Um, the chance of him getting hurt or not having a good experience are much higher if he doesn't know anything about the game going in. And, and one other thing with our youth program, the EC youth program, we run the same system, right? We, we pray the same, we warm up the same, we, get on the field at the same, you know, to the same fight song. We wear the same uniforms. We have EC on our helmet. When these kids come from our program into the high school program, they already know what to do. They know the nomenclature. They know the offense. They know the defense. They know, you know, what the prayer is before the game, right? So it's a much, a much easier transition for those kids who understand that. Yeah, that's, that's sorry to answer your question. I kind of no, got, I kind of got sidetracked there. No, it's a great answer. One of my follow-up questions was going to be, what would you say to the parents? And you answered that. Uh, one of my mm -hmm. sons, Austin, you know, he played uh, flag football back in like the third grade and he didn't play anymore mm -hmm. until freshman year. And he came to me and said, dad, I'm going to play. And of course he had an older brother playing. Um, but uh, and I was surprised. And he said, I said, well, why do you know why? <laughs> Basically I was surprised, you know, shocked. You realize, you know, this, you know, start running and lifting weights and all this sort of thing. He goes, I want to meet new kids because he came huh. from, you know, the kids, uh, my kids were in the public school there in eighth grade. And it's a way for me to meet, uh, you know, meet people. And frankly, some of his friends, in fact, his very best friends that he ended up graduating with, most of them um, are playing uh, college sports of some kind, some of them football, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just all of his closest friends certainly played football the way all four years, even when he stopped after his sophomore year when he got banged up a little bit. But um, mm-hmm. is that is, is that a good thing is for for kids who want to, you know, as far as try to connect with their school, connect with a, a new big, you know, scary place, things like that. Football being the first big sport of the season gets the school energized typically. No, what do you what do you say to that? Yeah, no, I think I think it's a great opportunity, and that was always one of the. Um, it's a great opportunity as a freshman because you start, you know, two or three weeks ahead of um, ahead of all the other students, right? So you when you walk into school on the first day, you know, thirty other freshmen, right, who are on your freshman football team. So that's that's a benefit. That's one always been one of the the big selling points for the youth program too, is that, you know. The, and I always coach the eighth grade team, but we always told those kids, look, the, the guys on this team are the guys you're going to be playing with for the next four years. Right. And you build, it gives an opportunity to build that bond ahead of time. So it was a, it was a great opportunity to, um, you know, meet new people and learn about the program and your, the parents to get, you know, how the East side culture is sort of family oriented, right. They always kind of right. talk about being a big family. Uh, you know, it gets the parents to meet each other. It starts that whole process earlier. And I think the earlier you start that process, the better things go. Right. A couple, just a couple more. One of the things, but you brought up something that got my attention. You know, one of the things that I remember noticing as a parent with kids playing, um, and I think it's pretty unique to to what you and Coach T and some of the others, and now Coach Dom and all those, you know, guys and gals that have been a part of the program for for a long time, um, was this idea of mentorship. You know, I remember mm-hmm. even some of those junior breakfasts and whatnot, having the older kids come down and connect with these guys and these, you know, fourth graders, fifth graders, you know, just eyes wide open at these guys that they may have seen on Friday night or they just look bigger, stronger, you know, whatever the reason was, but just wide eyed. Right. Um, yep. you know, tell me about mentorship and this kind of, for lack of a better word, this sort of pipeline concept, like growing them in house sort of idea. Yeah, well, you, you want to. If if this was just if this was just a like a junior football program, that growing them in the culture isn't that big a deal. But because we are, you know, we we fed a fair amount of our kids. I think it was between eighty five and ninety percent of our players ended up at Eastside Catholic, and the ten percent, you know, there was a couple that just didn't apply, and then there was a handful that just didn't get in right because it is pretty competitive admissions but by and large those kids are, are here because they want to go to Eastside Catholic right so that uh, building that culture was was um was, was kind of key to the program the mentorship we, you know we've kind of gone up and down with that it's that uh you know the Crusader Buddies dinner that we've right. done every year for however was always such a great event um, you know, and then we, uh, when Theobar was there, we, we have the kids, you know, at the end of the high school practice, before our practice, we'd have the kids stretch together and kind of connect with their mentor. But as the season goes on, it gets harder and harder for those things to, um, for, for those kids to connect with these guys. And it's something we worked on for a long time. I think John Luger's got some pretty good ideas of how they can, how they can advance it, but it was just, it's, it's such a great concept. And the kids love it so much. And I think uh, in some ways, I think the high school kids like it more than um, the youth kids, you know, have their little buddies and they would, you know, they'd show up on a, on a game day um, at Eastside Catholic and 
stand on the sidelines and hang out and play with the kids. And we'd always get four or five of those guys who wanted to, uh, you know, come out and be assistant coaches, right. On some of the teams. So, and it was usually, you know, used, and now we've got so many guys on that team that, uh, got their start in youth football. Right. So that, that, you know, now it's sort of a, it's sort of on autopilot, you know, they come into the program, they, they grow up, they go into the high school, they come back down, they mentor little kids, and then it just keeps going and going and going. So it, it feels like that's unique to football. Uh, it, I know certainly it's uh, a special part of what makes EC football, you know, strong and great. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I just think back over the years, my experience myself, watching other people, uh, being around college athletics, things like that is, um, you know, a lot of the other sports don't, it's not a knock on them. I think they all are great, but I mean, they, it just doesn't quite have the natural, um, you know, mentorship pipeline conversation as well. Like having the, you know, the, the 12 varsity boys basketball players had that might, it might be a little bit more difficult to accomplish, but there's something unique with football, for example. And I'm not exactly sure if it's just the culture or, Hey, we're all in this sort of together, or do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I, I, and we've tried this and I've been involved in other, um, you know, youth sports at Eastside Catholic and, I, you know, we started the youth lacrosse program up there and we tried to do the, the mentor deal. We tried to do it a little bit with, it, it works, actually works a little bit better with girls because they're a little more, um, I don't know what the, what the right word is, but um, anyway, it, they just, they seem to adapt to it much better and, and can, um, yeah, relational, right? Keep, keep little... the yeah, keep the keep the relationship going during the season. And of course, there's a lot fewer lacrosse girls than there are football guys, right? So we have 105 guys on the football team and 130 kids in the youth program. That's a little bit tougher to manage and and you know connect. And then they're all on different teams, right? The youth kids are all on different teams. So, um, but uh, where where was you saying maybe oh, football? You know what it is? I think it's um. I think you're right. I think it is unique for football and it's almost like there's a, uh, you know, a, a band of brothers, you know, friends in foxholes mentality, right? It's, it's the nature of the game where it's, it's often referred to as combat, right? And just a camaraderie that's built in the trenches. I don't know. I can't really think of any other way to describe it, but that's kind of it, right? It's a shared, a shared experience, right? That you can't really can't, like you were saying, we can't get from any other sport. Yeah, it's re- it's really cool. Well, here's my last my last question, and it's going to be a little bit uh, big picture, and I, I don't even know what the answer is that I am even looking for. I, but I I know how I want to ask the question, and that is, why does it seem like? And I could be biased, um, and you might be too. <laughs> why does it seem that the way that a successful football program, probably you know high school, college, you know th- that type of thing has a really has probably the largest non-academic impact on on that school um obviously at the college level we know that a lot most uh, football programs fund the rest of the athletic department mm-hmm. right and that's a you know billion yeah. dollar industry so i'm not trying to focus on that but the more successful the football program even is in college and then trickles down to a place like Eastside Catholic or even other small private schools that count on people raising their hand and say, hey, I want to come. They're not just living in the neighborhood. Why, yeah. What is unique about football that attracts non-football players to the school? 
the success of the team, I would say. You know, that's that's such a that's such an interesting question because like we've seen this, you know, every time EC wins a state championship, the admission numbers spike. And uh and uh, to a certain extent, I think also that the donations to the school increase. I don't, and you, you wouldn't do that if you won a state basketball championship or a state baseball championship. I, there's something about high school football that's just so unique, right? It's the Friday night lights, the, um, you know, your family being there on the field. You don't get that in college, right? Your parents don't get to go out there after the game and socialize with their parents and sit in the stands. And it, I don't, I don't know. I, I, it's, I don't, I don't, I can't think of any other situations like that. Right. And I've been to baseball games and soccer games and foot, you know, lacrosse games. It's just not the same. And I don't know why I, you know, it's, I think it's, you know, it's America's game, right? right. Football is America's game. No matter what the baseball guys say, it's America's (laughs) game. It's everybody's, you know, it's the, it's the sport. Kids don't, turn out by the hundreds to go to a baseball game or a basketball game. It's just, it's, I don't know, it's just football. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I don't really have a definitive answer on it either. I just know it's a, it's a real feeling, you know, that, mm-hmm. um, and like you mentioned, enrollment goes up, especially at these private schools where again, you know, you don't just get the kids in the neighborhood because they're in a district boundary line but you have kids from 30 miles, you know, radius trying to come in yeah. and, and say, and, and again, not just football players, right. Not just, you know, young boys that want to play for the, for the, for the state championship football team, but you got girls who are in theater and playing in the band and, mm-hmm. you know, boys that are, you know, in the robotics club, but they, I mean, maybe it's just being associated with the winner. I don't know. But if that was just the case, in my opinion, then you'd see it across, like you mentioned, all other sports. Oh, well, the track, we have a really mm-hmm. great track team. Well, nobody really raises their yeah. hand to say, I really want to rush in, right? Um, anyway, it's it's an interesting thing. I, well, Mike, I, I really appreciate uh, you taking a few minutes. Um, I don't exactly know why it matters to me so much. I mean, I do. I have some thoughts. I've now lived a little bit of life. I've had my own experience. Um, I, I love the family connection with football. Um, and certainly with my particular family, I've got boys that played, they've had some success, they've had some ups and downs, but overall, you know, you coach T, uh, so many other coaches, um, have been such a big part of their lives. And I think that's what Mm -hmm. I've come to appreciate is this additional, you know, not just football coaching, but like coaching in life, you know, raising young boys to become, you know, young, responsible men and, and instilling, uh, values, um, you know, in them that you can only really teach, I think, through football. Like, mm-hmm. I'll give, I'll use Nate, and I'll wrap up with this. I'll use my oldest son, Nate, as an example. He told me the other day, uh, because he went to Carroll uh, without the ROTC scholarship. He paid, you know, it's expensive, right? It's a Catholic yep. school. And he woke up in the morning and he did all the drills, whatever it took to try to get the scholarship by the end of his freshman year so that his sophomore through senior could be paid. Well, one of the cool things that Carol does, um, and a few, only a few others that we know do, if you get that scholarship, they add on room and board. So it becomes a pretty sweet financial incentive. Wow. With no guarantees, he got up and did the work. He left high school, say 260, because he played a line free seat, right? And he had to lose some weight and get in shape in a different kind of shape. And he told me, he said, Dad, I would not have been able to get, do this, accomplish this, if it wasn't for what I learned 
uh, through the EC, you know, system, you know, playing football specifically. Um, huh. and, and, and I know that part of it was literally, here's how you lift weights and here's how you, you know, literally technical yeah. stuff, but it was the mentality that he took away was here's how you fight. Cause he got hurt and he got back up and he got himself yeah. built back together so that he could even uh, pass an army physical. And he did. Wow. That's the that's kind of stuff that's, that's great that I hear. think you could take with you the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Were you saying something? I may have cut you out. Sorry. No, no, that was it. That was, I, I love those stories. Those are great. Well, again, I appreciate it. Um, so what's next for you? You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of, I was, uh, you know, I've coached a number of different things. I also coached middle school girls lacrosse at Eastside. So, you know, when the, when the pandemic hit, I was, you know, kind of phasing my way out all this stuff and then everything got shut down for a year. So I was kind of I was really looking around for, you know, new hobbies and new interests and stuff like that. And then of course you couldn't go anywhere or do anything. So just start sort of trying to re-engage in, in that kind of stuff, right? What am I going to, what am I going to do to occupy my time though? Am I coaching football or running a youth football program or something like that? So I don't know, got some ideas, but I haven't really settled on anything. I got my, uh, I got a two-year-old black lab who keeps me pretty busy. His name's Thor. Uh, so I know I'm to do some more bird hunting and uh, stuff like that. I, you know, perfected my pizza dough recipes over the, uh, over the pandemic and did some other stuff like that. But, you know, I'm open to new possibilities, I guess is the best way to say it. If you're working on uh, doing bird hunting and pizza dough, I think your, your future's bright. Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, I don't know if I'm any good at either one of those, but. Well, I appreciate your time and I appreciate your uh, mentorship uh, to my sons and specifically, but all the young boys that became young men that are still there and, and uh, you know, scratching their way, either playing football or just going to college or, or still in high school. I, uh, guys like you and, and so many others, you know, left their mark and it was super positive. And so this parent for sure is grateful. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thank you, Mike. All Good right, talking cheers. to you, man. Thanks. All right, bye. bye. And that wraps up another edition of Irish Mike's podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey and this fantastic conversation. We'd love for you to subscribe and rate us at the Apple, Spotify, or Google podcast app. And feel free to leave some comments and engage with us there as well. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to check out our little store, blacksmithtradingco.com, where you'll find small batch homemade bitters. You'll also find men's grooming items, such as cedar beard conditioning oil, which is fantastic on my beard, as well as tobacco and whiskey scented candles, and so much more. That's our primary show sponsor. We'd love for you to check them out and engage with us there as well. Thanks again for joining, and we'll see you next time.